Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We'll be in Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses. As you give your offering today, let me thank you. Down the hallway to my right, all the way down I-44 there, if you get to the children's area, it's dusty, it's broken to pieces, it's an absolute mess, and it's beautiful. Because of your generosity, we're going to be able to turn that into a better space for our kids, for teaching, for safety, for all that's connected. Because of what you're doing right now, churches are being planted in India, being planted in Japan, being planted across the globe. People in our community and throughout the world are being blessed and encouraged with medicine and, and counseling and encouragement and scripture. So what you do here, may, it is truthfully a sacrifice. You could take what you're giving today and keep it and do something for yourself that would be pretty cool. Or you can do something greater what you're doing today. So each and every time you give, please know you're partnering in ministry that's bigger than all of us. And I think it's doing incredible things. So thank you. Uh, two weeks ago, on the weekend of the January 7th, I woke up Saturday morning and I was sick. And I thought, it'll pass, I'll be fine, I can preach on Sunday. And, and as the day went on, I thought, I could do one. And nah, I can't do one. And I called Michael. And he's more than capable, and he was more than willing. And I said, do you mind preaching tomorrow? And he's like, no, I know the text, I got it. And he came in here on January 7th, and he killed it. And I was mad. Because I'd worked all week, he'd worked an hour, and his was better than mine. And then I thought, okay, you know, he's a Bible college guy, and he's, he wanted to preach the text last week on the calming of the sea. You know, he told us it was his favorite text, and I thought, oh, we'll get him. Two weeks in a row, he doesn't have the time for that. He's pretty amazing. So I got sad news today. I'm sorry to announce that I'll be preaching this weekend, and if you want to leave, please exit quietly to out the side doors. Uh, but it is good to be back, and it's, uh, Michael has incredible talent, and I value his partnership. I know you all do, too. He's too humble to tell you he was covering it at the last minute, and, and, uh, but I wanted you to know that. And in the past few weeks, if you've been traveling off and on, I know the weather has been fantastic. I thank God that we didn't have a tornado blizzard or something happen today. seems like the last three weeks have been complicated. It's just good to be back together. I want to tell you where we've been in case you haven't been with us. We've been looking at two parallel texts, Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4. There, here's the scene. Jesus was on the beach, and he went out into a boat, and he began to teach, and he taught a series of parables. What he told us in the parable is that our, our uh, receptivity to the gospel, to the message he was teaching, indicates our heart. And he told us some, some parables about how we live in a kingdom being built in an evil world and there will be difficulties and there will be enemies after us to keep us from growing the kingdom. He told us that, that, that by just a little bit of faith, <clears throat> the size of a mustard seed, he was going to change the world. That the gospel is so invaluable that when you discover it, you'll get rid of everything you own to possess it. To possess it. And that the kingdom is available to all people, but not everyone will accept it, but everyone will be blessed by it. That the kingdom will bring enough good into the world that the world should see the good it brings. And then Jesus had three people call out to him that they wanted to be disciples. And he told every one of them, don't 
come after me unless you really want all of me. And he cautions us from partial discipleship or partial commitment. And then last week, the disciples got in the boat and they began to row across. Jesus had taught all day and he was exhausted and he fell asleep. And as Michael taught us, he calmed the storm that scared the fishermen. He calmed the storm so much that it scared the fishermen in a different way. And Michael taught us that when we understand that we should fear God, we will then understand we shouldn't fear anything else. Because the power that calmed the storm can calm any storm. And that ought to frighten us about who Jesus is and take away all of our fears of everything else. And then they get on the other side, which is our text today in Mark chapter 5. Let's read. Oh, by the way, I've entitled today's sermon, Ripped, Stripped, Exposed, and Naked. I wish we had a church sign. That might draw some people today. You'll find out why in just a little bit. Verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. If I handed out a piece of paper to everybody and said, Write down a question or two you might have about this text— I'm pretty sure I've assumed that there are a ton of questions. This is a highly detailed passage, and it's a bit confusing for us. But I think the one thing that would be most commonly asked is, why the pigs will get there? But if you focus on the pigs, you're going to miss the point. And I don't want us to miss the point. The pigs highlight the point, but don't miss the point. We'll talk about the pigs eventually, but I want you to see all that's taking place here. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Evil is real. There's a tendency in in the United States, especially in educated environments, to dismiss this teaching as just the naivete of a group of reporters who couldn't understand mental illness. So there are scholars even who have bought into the fact that this wasn't a demon possession because there's no such thing you know. Intelligent people know this. I want you to be very, very cautious. If you read the Gospels carefully, they knew what mental illness was because they talk about it. But there are two kinds 
of conditions. There is the natural conditions, which is caused by diet. It's caused by genetics. It's, it's caused by these things that we can explain. But then there's other supernatural elements that are found in Scripture, and this is where some of you will change the channel. You're not open to the supernatural. You don't believe this is true. You don't believe in demon possessions. And then some of us believe in it so much, we're wigged out beyond control over it. We can see an angel and a demon behind every post. I want us to be cautious that we don't let the pendulum swing any farther than the Bible allows it to swing. You see, there was a term for mental illness, and there was a term for demon possession, and this is about a true demon possession. Evil church is real. And the moment you and I disregard the power of evil and the truth of evil, you are more exposed than you've ever imagined. Now, for those of us saved in Jesus Christ, sealed in the Holy Spirit, here's a good word today. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if you sit here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, sealed in the Holy Spirit, you're wondering if you're demon-possessed, relax. God is bigger than any demon that wants a part of you. If you're not in Jesus Christ, I'm not suggesting you're demon-possessed. What I'm telling you is evil is real. You better figure out your method for dealing with it. Because the Bible does not give us the conditions that human effort can overcome evil. We try so much in our culture. We use uh, non-biblical counseling. We use medicines. We use all this therapy, behavior modification. Because we believe that if we can just suck it up and work really hard, we can overcome anything. Wrong answer. Because if that worked, wouldn't it have worked by now? So we, if you're open to dismissing evil, I caution you. Jesus never dismissed evil. He dealt with it. In fact, the truth of the story is he's the only one who can. When Jesus got out of the boat, verse 2, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Living in a tomb. I think Mark brings that out to tell you that this guy was, he was, had a living death. He lived in a place where dead bodies existed. He had no community. He had no place. He had lost everything that being alive would seem to mean. Verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. You see, the first lesson of importance is that evil is real and cannot be explained away. It has to be dealt with. No one could help him. Do you notice that Mark says this repeatedly? Have you picked that up when you read the passage? If you slow down in a text and meditate on it, you're going to see some repetition. And this is what Mark's telling us. He's telling us that no one could bind him. No one could help him. No one could restrain him. No one was strong enough. If you're saying to yourself, I can deal with my own problems and I'll deal with them in my own way, please understand this concept of no one. Evil is real. And when evil becomes a part of who we are and the influences of evil come upon us, and we'll talk about those powers in just a moment, but when evil does come onto you and it tempts you and it challenges you and it tries to become a part of you, and it will, it does, even for believers, it's to turn our eyes away from Jesus and to to turn Jesus into some cartoonish character or some uh, book, some, some fictional book about a real nice guy instead of who he is. See, no one could break the chains. The power of evil puts on each of us. So what are these powers of evil? You see, the more power evil seems to offer, the more power it actually takes away. Well, let's be honest. We're in church. I think we can tell the truth. There's a reason that evil can be attractive is because evil will give you now what you can't get on your own. 
Now, let me just do something very, very simple. You want something and you can't have it, so you steal it. You take it. Someone's reputation, or you take something from work, or you have an opportunity that you can get away with it, you, so you think, and you want it, and you can't afford it, or you don't want to spend the time and energy to, to possess it the proper way, so you just take it for yourself, and, and you hide it behind, and you think for a second, this feels good. I got what I wanted, and I didn't have to expend a whole lot. So evil does reward you in the moment until you're caught You've lost your reputation and you're about to be punished and you've lost more than you just gained. See, evil never tells you that the temporary satisfaction you gain from it will cost you eternal things down the line. It overpromises and underdelivers each and every time. Adam and Eve in the garden got the taste of fruit, tasted good for how long? Not long enough. Because then God showed up in the quiet of the evening and they realized that what they had just tasted It's the worst thing they ever could have done. But evil doesn't tell you what it's bringing on top of the limited power it gives you. It said, verse 2 here, the man lives in the tombs. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. That sounds like living, doesn't it? You see, he gained great strength because nobody could subdue him. But at the same time, he was a slave and nobody could free him. So they tried to control him. They tried to sequester him. They tried to keep him in the tombs and keep him in the, in the hills. But he still had power. And people stayed away from that region because he was powerful, but he was also a slave. And he couldn't live life and he couldn't enjoy the things that human beings want. You see, the stronger he got, the weaker he got. And doesn't evil do that to us too? Gives us temporary strength and permanent weakness. You see, the effects of evil, if you notice what Mark is telling us, is gradual. At first, it seems like a pretty neutral thing. I got what I wanted. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it the right way, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, the effects of it become more powerful, more powerful. And it says that at one point, he could be subdued. At one point, he could be contained. But now, he could no longer be contained. The power of evil grows in us as we allow it to grow. And then Jesus asked him, who are you? And he said, I am legion. I want you to notice something here, and Michael and I have been talking about this. Michael teaches, if you're not, if you're not from Christchurch, Michael DeFazio is one of our, uh, uh, he shares stage with me, and he teaches for us and preaches for us on occasion. He's a professor at Ozark. He teaches the Gospel of Mark over there academically, and he and I were chatting a little bit about this. I want you to notice that when this man is talking to Jesus, sometimes Mark says the man is talking, and sometimes he says the demon is talking. Can you see the tension here? He has given his freedom away to this force, this evil, this presence, and he doesn't always get to control his role in it. But they ask him, who are you? And his response is, I am legion. He identifies who his master is, not who he is. And boy, if that's not indicative of what many of us in our periods of our life have experienced, haven't we? We no longer know who we are. We only know what we've done. And so we identify ourselves by the things that enslave us instead of the freedom that we've been given in the image of God. So evil enslaves and evil grows and evil depersonalizes us. So what is the power of freedom? The power of Jesus. How does this man get healed? This is what Mark wants us to see. He's given us his condition. He showed the power of evil in his life and how it's wrecked everything and ostracized him and ruined him and taken his identity. How does he get healed? He approaches Jesus. It's really that simple. He approaches Jesus. The Pharisees and the crowds who thought Jesus was awesome, 
They didn't get it. But this demon-possessed guy did. Because when Jesus comes, you see, previously, nobody had power over this guy. He was the power in the region. He was demon-possessed, and evil was empowering him, and he had authority, and he, he brought fear. And then Jesus shows up on the beach, and this guy goes into second place instantly, without a question. Notice that even the demons know who Jesus is. And the truth of the matter is, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. Now, when he fell on his knees, he wasn't worshiping Jesus. He was identifying Jesus. And there are many of us that get stuck here. We're trying to identify Jesus, and we have not switched over to worshiping him. Because this man wasn't coming to Jesus saying, anything you want me to do because you are the man. He fell down in fear knowing the real power, the real authority. You see, this demon-possessed man had temporary power. Jesus has eternal power. This demon was acting like a god. The real god was there. The demons know that when Jesus comes in full authority, that he is going to cast them into the abyss for eternity. They know this is coming, which is interesting. When we read the story, did you notice that one of the first things the demon says is, now, is it going to be now? You're here, am I done? It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Demons know who he is. They identify him right away. Maybe we should figure out how to do that. Verse 7, he shouted at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? No question who this guy is. The first step to being healed from the evil that we have allowed into our lives is to see the real Jesus. Not the Jesus of the flannel graph boards from our youth. Not the Jesus that gets cartoonized in in these little, is that a word? But anyway, it gets turned into a cartoon in our culture. Jesus is this real nice, sweet guy who's just going to love everybody. Now, I want you to understand that when you see who Jesus is, Michael was right last week, you'll learn to fear him. And by fearing him, you'll fear nothing else. See, it produced an awareness. This man falls down. He says, you're going to destroy me. Dr. Timothy Keller says it this way, unless you and I see not only the attractiveness of Jesus, but the utter demand that intimidates and frightens us, we have not come to grips with the real Jesus. I loved my dad. I still love my dad. I love my mom. I fear both of them. To this day, I fear their opinions. I I fear their authority in my world. And I don't fear it because I'm scared of them. My respect and love for who they are and what they've done for me and how much they mean to me, they still matter to me. I take a knee in front of my mom and dad any day of the week. Not because I'm a good kid, because I know who my parents are. And I know what they've done and I know who they are and what they stand for. Are you with me? Whether you had a good set of parents or not, please understand, you can attribute, you understand what it is to fear with reverence something and not fear for your death. And when we get Jesus understood, which is why we're studying the gospel at this pace, when we understand who he is, then we'll understand how to overcome evil. Because it's not about us, it's only about him. For those of you that might sit here today and you think, well, you know, I'm not sure, Mark. I I don't think you need to get all fanatical about religion. I don't think you need to go crazy about it and change everything. You're wrong. When you understand who Jesus is, there's nothing he asks of you that you won't change. It's like finding a pearl in the great ocean. You do everything you can to possess that. 
You find a treasure in a field. You'll do anything you can to possess that field, to have that treasure, because what, you're, what you have now is in nothing in comparison to what Jesus is offering you. So yes, I am saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, you ought to get fanatical. Amen. It shouldn't be a convenience that fits into your everyday schedule. It should be the most important thing you wake up to do every day, and everything else falls in line with it. That's what Michael said two weeks ago in Luke chapter 9. You can't follow Jesus partially and be a disciple. He shouted, swear to God you won't torture me. Again, he identifies what's coming his way. He knows, evil knows what it's brought about. See, the devil will tell you, notice the response, and it says he shouted, not the demon, but the man. Isn't it funny that Jesus came to free him? Jesus came to break his slavery. And his response is, I don't know if I can trust you. Jesus, you're not going to hurt me. You see, Satan's got us convinced that if we really sell out to Jesus, if we really give Jesus our heart, our soul, and our everything, he's going to wreck us. He's going to punish us. He's going to make us pay for all our past sins. He's going to do all of this to us. I'm telling you, it's not true. He says, swear to God you won't torture me. But I want you to notice something interesting that Mark does here. He actually puts verses 7 and 8 in opposite order. You see, the man cries, swear to God, you won't torture me, after, verse 8, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Jesus didn't come in and ask for anything else. He walks on the beach, this dude runs over, falls on his knees, and Jesus said, come out of him, evil spirit. And the man says, don't torture me, don't make me pay for this. Somehow he had entered into this relationship with evil, and he feared that if he gave himself to this Jesus, he would be crushed worse than the the demon was crushing him. Can't you see it in each of our lives when we, when we don't really believe Jesus is good and our fear becomes disproportionate to the revelation of his heart for us? You see, the second stage of healing is not only seeing the real Jesus, but seeing the real Jesus for his goodness, for his compassion, for his desire to free us. Jesus asked him, what's your name? My my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So the demons realize there's a short window for them. And he's begging Jesus over and over and over. And then you'll remember Jesus told the man after he healed him. And the man said, I want to get in the boat and go with you. And Jesus said, no, no, I want you to go home to your family. And I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. What's fascinating to me is there's so much material I can't even begin to cover today. It just makes my tail wag a thousand miles an hour. When you look at this text, have you noticed sometimes in the gospel, Jesus tells people, don't say a word. Don't don't tell anybody. What What I'm finding is most of those people are Jewish. The chosen people, the ones who should have known what the Messiah was come to do. They had the Holy Scriptures. They were aware by the prophets what was to come. But in this case, you have this Gentile man who lives in the Decapolis. Let me explain what that is, the Roman territory. He says to the Gentile, yeah, yeah, go tell him about the good Messiah. Isn't it interesting? For some crowds who should have known him, he said, no, let them figure it out on their own. For crowds that had no idea the Messiah was for them, he said, go tell the story about how this God freed you and showed you mercy. I don't know much what to do with that, but it's awesome. Jesus treats individuals with freedom. He breaks the chains of slavery. He freed them. And the world says, if you trust him, he's going to wreck you. And Jesus said, yeah, go tell him how I wrecked you. 
And the response is, he didn't wreck me at all. He freed me. He gave me life. He gave me hope. I no longer have chains. I no longer live in a tomb. I'm able to live my life to the glory of God. I affect so much I want to follow him. And Jesus said, the way you follow me is by going back and telling people about my goodness and about my mercy. You see, Satan overpromises everything and underdelivers on everything. Jesus promises very little, but his promises take a lifetime to experience and an eternity to celebrate. So we have to ask ourselves this question, why would Mark tell us all of this? I think it's funny, when he saw Jesus, he ran. Jesus said, come out. And he says, I swear by God. You notice that? That's an interesting exchange. The demon says, you swear by God. And Jesus doesn't do it. Do you know why? Because he is God. An exorcism in the history of mankind has always been done by the authority of a greater power. Jesus doesn't do exorcisms like people try to do exorcisms because he's the only power that can exercise. So they said, swear by God. And he goes, I am. Come out. And the demon came out. Ah, come on, people, relax. That's cool. That's a John Wayne moment in the scriptures. Enjoy that. And he says, come out. And he comes out. He is the higher power. A legion of 6,000 demons had to obey his one command. He didn't have to say it twice. He had to make no threat. They knew who he was. They'll respond to who he was. What do you and I have to fear that evil brings on us? That Jesus hasn't already proven he's bigger than. Nothing. Yet we'll continue to worship evil because it gives us a temporary satisfaction instead of waiting for the permanent satisfaction found in Christ to see who he is, to understand his goodness. So I told you very happily that I've entitled this sermon Ripped, Stripped, Exposed, and Naked. Kind of describes the dude in the tomb, doesn't it? Just describes the demon-possessed man. His, his old master, the demon, ripped him, stripped him, exposed him, and made him feel naked. But here's what I want you to understand. I wasn't talking about that man when I entitled this sermon that. I was talking about Jesus who was stripped and ripped and made exposed and naked for us. See, at the end of the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus exchanging places with this man. At the beginning of the story, he's a mess. At the end of the story, he's dressed in fine clothes and he's in his right mind and everyone's amazed at what a work Jesus did in his life. But at the end of the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus naked stripped of his clothes, his body ripped, crying out and bleeding. At the end of the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus driven into a tomb while this man comes out of a tomb. You see what Mark just did to us? He just told us a story that not only revealed who Jesus was, he just told us a story that's bigger than the story. He said that Jesus is going to trade places with this man who was ripped, stripped, exposed and naked. Because at the crucifixion week, Jesus would be This man. And no one could help him. No one could free him. No one could secure him. See, here's what I want you to know today. He died on the cross to pay for our sins so that someday he could wipe out evil without wiping out us. The reason he went to the cross was so he could destroy evil. He could break our chains. He could free us from the tombs. He could put us in our right minds. He could restore our soul. He could take evil influence away from us. He did all of this. Why? So that he could destroy evil without destroying us. If you ever wonder if he's good, he should have eliminated us, but instead he eliminated evil. 
All right, so why the pigs? Still want to know? I don't know. <laughs> but I got an idea. You see, the, the Jews thought that the Romans and Gentiles were subhuman. Thought they were evil. In fact, they had a term for them. You know what they called them? Pigs. Just maybe, possibly, there's a chance that when the demon said, let, me, let us go into the pigs, what they were doing is looking for embodiment. Spirits have to have embodiment. They have to have something natural to work with. So they said, send us into the pigs. You see, the Jews wanted the Messiah to eliminate the Romans and eliminate the Gentiles because they were nothing but swine, filthy, dirty animals. And the demon said, send us into the pigs, thinking they would have embodiment. I don't believe they knew that when they went into the, because they're not omniscient. Demons aren't omniscient. They don't know everything. When they went into the hogs, what did the pigs do? They went down and drowned themselves. And guess what? The spirits just lost their embodiment. And the crowd came back and instead of going, amazing, the crowd went, how much money was wasted? Typical. Why the pigs? Here's what I think. Because people aren't evil. They've just given themselves to evil. What Jesus was showing us was he could cast out a demon and save even those that we think are irreparable. Those ethnicities, those religious groups, those political people, those people who have done horrible things in our culture, we want to say to Jesus, eliminate them, get rid of them. But Jesus can't get rid of the person because the person is not evil, the person is living out evil. See what Jesus just did? He told every single one of us, no matter what you've done, I will never get rid of you. I will take the evil from you if you'll let me and I will redeem you and you will go from ripped, stripped, naked and exposed to blessed, honored, wearing the royal robe and gathering with me in my kingdom. Isn't Jesus good? And so yeah, it costs us things that the world values. But Jesus redeemed a man that nobody in his community would redeem, and he was a Gentile. And Jesus said to that non-Jewish man, go tell people what I've done for you. Is there anybody in this room who doesn't have a story about what Jesus has done for you? For those of you that aren't disciples of Jesus, you have not given your life to Jesus Christ. You're exploring this. You're welcome here. We're glad you're here. You're opening your heart to the gospel. Please understand, until you see the real Jesus and you search out the real goodness, you're going to stand at a distance and miss this. For those of us who claim to be disciples, who want to follow Jesus, I'm going to challenge every single one of us. We need to go deeper into the word of God so we can spend time meditating on the goodness of God and the power of God so that we'll fear Jesus and love Jesus at the same time. I want to worship this guy because he took my condition and wore it and gave me his condition and he told me to enjoy it to live life to the fullest, to walk free, to walk empowered, to walk holy, to walk chosen. Isn't Jesus good? If you don't know who he is, I would love to tell you what he's done for me and allow him to do it for you too. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.